Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Kevin. I am so excited to be able to engage with you in this online service. I love the fact that despite how we cannot gather together physically with the church, that we don't cease to be the body of Christ. In fact, I think there may be no better time than this, that we need one another. We need the body of Christ. So please continue to engage, continue to tune in, uh, continue to connect with us because we need one another in this season. Man, Easter is one week away. Isn't that crazy? I wanted to ask you a question, invite you to tune in, engage in the comments, and answer this question this morning. Listen, what is your favorite Easter treat? What is that Easter treat for you that you look forward to every year on Easter? For me, I love deviled eggs. I seem to only get them one day a year, so I will not complain about those. And I also, I love jelly beans. And Jelly Belly is the best jelly bean, absolutely. Man, I'm excited for Easter because I think we need what Easter brings. Easter is a season of hope, and that is what we need. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that when everything seemed lost, Jesus gave hope to us by walking out of the grave. And that is a reminder to us that God redeems the broken things. That God takes, uh, God brings beauty out of the ashes. That he takes our mourning and turns it into laughter. That God will restore the years that the locust ate. And so I want to encourage you, just as you start thinking about Easter, would you invite someone to tune in to our online Easter service? That may mean for you, you grab your phone and you text a friend and check in on how they're doing and say, hey, I'd love for you to tune in to our online Easter service next Sunday at Restoration Church. Maybe you're going to go on our Facebook page and use that Easter graphic and share that on your social media, inviting your friends and family to our Easter service. Listen, the world needs the message of hope. The world needs the message of Easter. So let's do that. Let's invite people to engage with us and to enjoy in that to join in that Easter service with us next week. I want to jump into uh, our message today and start out by telling a speech that Martin Luther King gave in 1965. Martin Luther King was in the throes of battling against racism in our country, and he gave this speech in Montgomery, Alabama, and he asks a question that many African Americans and many people themselves were just asking of themselves, a question that they were asking of our country, a question that many people were asking of God. And the question that MLK deals with was, how long? And in his speech, he says this. He says, how long will prejudice blind the visions of men and darken their understanding? He says, how long will, will justice continue to be escaped with people lying dead in the streets? He says, how long will weary souls face the chains of fear and the manacles of death? And he says, how long will justice be crucified? I think that is a fitting question for that time of history in our country. But what about, what about you? Have you ever found yourself asking questions like that? Maybe in the middle of some difficult thing, some pain, some suffering, some disappointment. Have you ever asked God, God, how long? God, where are you? God, I don't understand this. In fact, I remember a circumstance a couple of years ago where I felt wounded and there was no resolution. And I will be honest, in my faith, man, I was starting to struggle. I was frustrated. But somewhere along the way, someone said, listen, if you're a Christian, that you have to have everything all together. If you're a Christian, that your faith and discouragement, they cannot coexist. And so I did what many of us do in those times of difficulty. I just bottled it up. 
And what happens when we are in those difficult seasons and we can't acknowledge our emotions, it leads us to one of two places. It leads us to despair, where we just don't believe there's any hope, where we actually give up on anything good coming out of it. We might even begin to believe, man, God, you're not good in yourself. So either it leads us to despair or it leads us to where I went, and that's denial, where we just pretend that everything is good. The problem is when we pretend that everything is good, it usually leads us to even more hurt. We begin to, to doubt and say, God, God, you're not fair. God, you're not caring. And maybe we even begin to doubt his love for us at all. The responses of denial and, and despair often has led many people to walk away from the faith, to walk away from Christianity, to walk away from, from God himself. And so today, the question I want us to deal with is how do we deal with our disappointments? How do we deal with our disappointments? In fact, you think about the, the crisis our world is in. Many of us have these disappointments. We're looking around and, and our, our jobs and our livelihoods are at risk. We have high school seniors that are missing out on a special season of their senior year heading into graduation. There are some of us that have been planning and preparing and saving for a trip or a special birthday party, and these things have all had to be canceled or postponed. In the middle of these disappointments, the message from the church, the message that I've even shared myself, is that we need to have faith and not fear. And that's true, but what do we do with our grief? What do we do with our disappointments? What do we do when it feels like God is silent? And what do we do when it feels like maybe God has abandoned us? Do we deny those feelings? Do we just pretend that faith and discouragement and disappointment cannot coexist? This is a message that I've wanted to teach for a while because it touches so many of us. It touches our current situation with where we are, as well as touching so many real-life issues that many of us face. The reality is, we live in a broken world. You can turn on the news and you can read about earthquakes and wars and abuse and scandals. And it's not just the brokenness in the world, it's also the brokenness we deal with on a personal level in our lives. Where we've got family members that we love and care for that are battling debilitating diseases and we feel limited with what we can do. We've got spouses that have left us either physically or emotionally. We've got kids that have wandered off into rebellion. And so we deal with this brokenness and it leaves us hurt. It leaves us frustrated and angry. And we begin to wonder these questions. God, how long? God, where are you? God, if you are good, then why am I still hurting? Listen, how many of you have ever felt this way as you've gone through life and lived out your faith? But here's the good news. Scripture teaches us that we don't have to despair. We don't have to deny these feelings. Scripture teaches that we can actually express these frustrations and this anger and this disappointment to God. I mean, He's God. He can take it. And He allows us to express these feelings because there's a purpose in it. That when we express these feelings, that God can continue to reveal Himself to us. He can continue to build our faith in the middle of all of these feelings. 
So if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to open to Psalm chapter 13. And we're going to learn what it means for us to lament. Lament simply means that we express our deep pain and sorrow to God. In fact, as you look through the Bible, uh, lament is all over the place. The book of Psalms, one-third of that book is filled with lament, filled with people engaging honestly and vulnerably with God. The book of Lamentations, in fact, is a book weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem. And so, lament is beyond just expressing pain. It is expressing pain in light of the truth of God. To lament is to carry to God our deepest uh, feelings of doubt and, and, and trouble, all while trusting in God's power and provision to deliver us from whatever it is that is troubling us. Lament is very much like real faith, where it is passionate and messy, and both of these things, and it always circles back to us having faith in God. And so Psalm 13 becomes a blueprint to teach us what it looks like for us to lament. And here's the first thing it teaches us. It teaches us that we can be honest and we can bring our complaints to God. In fact, as you look at what David writes, starting in verse 1, I want you to hear the tone that David writes. And David says in verse 1, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You know, we have a lot of questions as to what was the issue that David is writing about? Truthfully, we're never told, which is good because so many of us can read these words and find ourselves in the words that David is writing. How many of you have ever cried out to God? You've prayed in desperation only to be, feel like you're being met with silence. Like, God, where are you? How many of us have had sorrow as our enemies, be they coronavirus or an ex-spouse or haters, or loneliness, or addiction, or, or, or any sort of thing, a wayward child. How many of us have had sorrow as it feels like these enemies are exalting over us, and we feel hopeless? There's nothing we can do to overcome this situation. And this is where David becomes an example for us, and what it looks like for us to take our sorrows and to express them to God with real and honest and raw emotions. Honestly, sometimes we have these feelings and they last for a long time. But that does not mean that Jesus is not aware of it. When we hurt, Jesus hurts. When we cry, Jesus cries. In fact, there's a story in John chapter 11 where Lazarus dies and Jesus brings him back from the dead. And in between that time, in between when Lazarus dies and Jesus brings him back, it says in John 11:35. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And the question I have when I read that, if Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus and bring him back to life, then why did he cry? Why did he cry? The answer is just because Jesus knows the outcome does not mean he's not hurting with us in the middle of our pain. And that is good news for us to know that when we are suffering and struggling and anger and, and we're feeling this pain, Jesus is feeling it with us. That when we hurt, he hurts. When we cry, he cries. 
the psalm continues, and David teaches us that to lament means that we can make our petitions known to God. Here's what he says in verse 3. David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David is asking, he's saying, God, God, put your attention on me. Consider me. Answer me, God. He's saying, God, would you intervene in my depression? I am so low, I feel like I am close to death. He says, God, would you give me deliverance over my enemies who continue to exalt over me? In fact, I think here's one of the keys for us to understand lament. To lament to God is not a lack of faith. It's actually a sign of of deep faith. David's not just grumbling about God. He's crying out to God because he is utterly and totally dependent on him. He knows there's no way out of this situation except for God. This is not being disrespectful with his thoughts towards God. He's being honest with real emotions and feelings. This is what it looks like to have a relationship with God, to have this honesty and the raw emotions. In fact, I think about an example of this, my wife. My wife oftentimes will have some hard conversations with me. She'll say, hey, Kevin, I need you. I need you to come home tonight and I need you to make dinner because I've been home with these kids during this whole coronavirus thing the last couple weeks and I'm done. Like I'm done. I need you to come home. And Kevin, I need you to, to not be on your phone. I need you to be present with me and present with the kids. My wife doesn't have to tell me these feelings, but they're for the sake of her health, both physical and emotional, for the sake of our marriage, for the sake of my influence on the kids and having a healthy family dynamic. She expresses these feelings out of love and trusts that I will respond. That is what it means for us to lament, to, to lament that we can express our feelings and trust that God will respond. In fact, I think Jesus gives an example of what that looks like. In the garden on the the night that Jesus was betrayed, the day before he's crucified, Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and he's lamenting. He's saying, God, I don't want to do this. God, there's, there's got to be another way. And he's just pressing into God, very open and raw and real. In the end, Jesus says, okay, God, your will be done. In fact, on the cross, in the middle of his pain and suffering, Jesus cries out with raw emotion and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the truth is, in our lives, we're going to have sorrow. We're going to face suffering. We're going to have disappointment. Jesus even says this in John 16. He says, In this world, you will have trouble. And this is why we need to learn how to lament. This is why we need to learn how to talk to God about our sorrows and our frustrations and our struggles. So I want to encourage you to to learn. I want to encourage you this week to practice lament. Maybe you begin to think about how the coronavirus has affected you. Maybe you begin to think about just some personal things you're struggling through, some things going on in life. I want you to practice to lament. Say, well, I don't know how to do that. Let me ask you this. What is breaking your heart right now? What is the reality of your life, the reality in our world that is too much for you to bear on your own? What is causing you pain? What is that thing in your heart that you want to ignore and deny and push down? 
Listen, simply to lament is to acknowledge those things to God with real and raw emotion. Would you do that this week? Some people say, well, well, how do I do this? If that's what I do, how do I do that? There's different ways to do that. Some people find poetry to be a great way to lament towards God. If you're able to do that, praise God for that. Some people like to go on a, on a walk and talk out loud to God and express that lament. My encouragement to you, if you're going to do that, put in some headphones because you look less like a crazy person with headphones in your ear. For me, the best way i found that I can lament is when I journal, either in a notebook or maybe in the notes app on my phone. I find that it can just be between me and God. And it can be intense. My, my journals can be intense, but the reality is we live in, I live in a broken world. And I've got this brokenness in my own heart. And so that brokenness, it pushes me to the only hope that I have, and that's God. And it pushes me to be raw and honest with my feelings and express those to Him. But you know what the best and surprising part about Psalm 13 and about David? is Somehow in Psalm 13, David finds himself in a position of praise. We begin to wonder, well, well, how does that happen? How does he do that? Because in the middle of his pain, the middle of him feeling abandoned, he chooses, he chooses to remember about God, the truth about God, and to trust in him. There's three things that he gives us that he chooses to remember. The first one, he chooses to remember that God's love is a never-changing love. I mean, he says in verse 5, he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Let me geek out here just for a minute. That word steadfast in your Bible comes from the Hebrew word, which is hesed, which is pointing back to God's covenant with Israel and God's covenant with David. In that covenant, God says that his love and his faithfulness is not based on how faithful Israel is to God. That love and that faithfulness is not based on how faithful David is to him. It's not based on how faithful you and I are to God. That that covenant, God's love is based on his character. That he chooses to love us. He chooses to hold his end of the covenant even though we don't hold our end of the covenant as well. That is steadfast love. That is a never-changing love. And that is a promise from God. And the great news is God always keeps his promises. The second thing that David remembers about God is he remembers that God's salvation is secure. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What I love about David is he writes this and says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Listen, his circumstances have not changed. He is still in the middle of the mess. God still feels far off. The haters are still hating. Yet he can still say, I rejoice in your salvation. It makes me think of Romans chapter 8, where even though creation is still groaning in the middle of the pain, he writes and says that we will be set free, that that creation will be set free from the bondage and corruption that creation will obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. That's where we can be assured that God is working for our good and for his glory, and that we can know, we can know that salvation is coming, whether it be in this present time or whether it be in the future, that God will reign victorious, 
that God will right every wrong. In fact, in Revelation chapter 21, we have this promise that in his salvation, that we will have no more pain. We will have no more sorrow. We will have no more tears. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that we can rejoice in these momentary trials because nothing is compared to the eternal weight of glory that is coming for us in heaven. David says we can remember and rejoice in God's salvation. And finally, David chooses to remember that God's goodness knows no limit. He says in verse 6, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful with me. And what that means is God has given David goodness and grace that David never deserved in the first place. And we'll be honest, like in the middle of our suffering and our struggles and our trials, it's hard to see the good around us. But this is where we have to look. We have to open our eyes because we will see grace upon grace extended to us. In fact, thinking about the middle of the coronavirus, and we have these restrictions, and we have these things that we've lost, but if we look for the good, man, there are so many good things around us. There are people that are helping one another, people going to the store for one another. There are landlords giving their tenants a month of free rent. And we, if we look, will recognize that we have been given the gift of time where we can slow down, we can reprioritize our life and shift our dependence upon God. He has given us these good things. And personally, despite the fact that we've been given uh, another day to live, we experience this personal goodness today that we get to hear the greatest truth of our lives again, the truth of Jesus. And that truth says that Jesus came into the world and was forsaken by God so that we would not have to be forsaken by him. The truth of Jesus is that Jesus came into this world and God turned away from him so that God would never have to turn away from us. The truth of Jesus is that Jesus came into the world and when his enemies thought that they had prevailed against him, Jesus rose victorious so that we could be victorious. The truth of Jesus is that Jesus came into this world and he died in our place so that we could be counted dead towards sin. The truth of Jesus is that Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose so that we could be raised again to new life. Man, I love this. Jesus may not change our circumstance. And this is where when we lament, when we express that, that sorrow and that pain and that frustration to God, we can still sing. We can still praise God in the middle of the storms. I think back to Martin Luther King's speech when he asked that question, how long? See, the cool thing about that speech is Martin Luther King, he answers that question in that speech. He says, how long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. He says, how long? Not long, because we still reap what we show, what we sow. He says, how long? Not long. And then he quotes this hymn of the battle hymn of the Republic. He says, not long because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the faithful lightning of this terrible swift sword. He says, how long? Not long because his truth is marching on. And I'd say to us, in the middle of our suffering, 
in the middle of our disappointments and our frustration, we ask that question and say, God, how long? And I'd answer you this morning and say, not long, because his truth is marching on. We ask that question, God, how long will we suffer? And I'd say, not long, because Philippians 1, 6 says, the same God who began a good work in us will see it to completion. We suffer through coronavirus, and we say, how long? And God says, not long, because Romans 8, 18 says, when I consider these present sufferings, they are not even worth comparing to the weight of glory that will be revealed in us. We suffer, and we say, God, how long? And I'd say, not long, because even though Even though we run from him, he runs after us with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. We say, how long? And I'd say, not long, because even though we see the reign of death on this earth, Job 18, Job 19 says, I know that my Redeemer lives and will stand upon this earth forever. How long will we suffer? and struggle not long because i know that my redeemer lives so let's lament well let's not be afraid to express our frustrations and our grief and our disappointments to god but let's remember let's choose to remember his love let's choose to remember his salvation let's choose to remember the good that he has given to us Let's choose to remember that his truth is marching on. And let's choose to lift up our voice and sing. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are not afraid of our emotions. That God, that you've given us a way to express our feelings and our thoughts and our worries and our anger and our frustration. God, help us to know that you are big enough to take those things. Help us to know that you're not afraid, that you can take those things because, God, you have a purpose and a plan through them. God, I pray for those of us that have been living in despair, that we've been denying, that, God, you give us the faith to come to you with our struggles. God, I pray that we would see that you are the God who comforts, who meets us in the middle of the pain, that when we hurt, you hurt. When we cry, you cry with us. God, thank you that you aren't afraid. God, I pray that we would be honest and real with our feelings and our emotions, that we would this week express those to you, that, God, you would meet us in the middle of that. And, God, as we express these emotions, God, I pray that you help us to remember. You give us the ability to choose to remember the truth about you, that, God, your love is never changing. Your love is always there, that you are faithful even when we aren't. That even though we don't see it always, you are there with us. God, help us to remember your salvation. Whether we see it in this present time or whether it's something in the future, God, I pray that we would rejoice in that salvation. God, I pray that we would choose to see the good around us because, God, you've extended grace upon grace. God, and we, as we ask that question, how long? God, I pray that you would be real in helping us to understand not long because your truth is marching on. And God, I pray in the middle of the storms of this life that you would still help us 
can lift up our voice and sing in praise because, God, we know you are with us. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this encouragement and for meeting us here today, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen.